Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is a man who has ruined all other men for you, a man who's coming back for a very special round two, where your favorite podcast host, insert dramatic gasp here, asks him more than one question. That man is the author of the breakout hit book, Modern Poker Theory, the great Michael Acevedo, and you're about to hear him throwing down greatness bomb after greatness bomb. After an unexpected but delightful pit stop covering psychedelic drugs, Michael and I are about to go deep on all the poker strategy things. In today's episode, you're going to learn Michael's daily process for self-improvement, the unsexy aspect of poker Michael believes is the highest impact thing you can learn, the specific actions you ought to take if you're looking to skyrocket your poker game, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you a stud of a poker player, coach, human being, and author, the great Michael Acevedo. Mr. Acevedo, welcome back, sir. Hey, Brad. Uh, thanks for having me. Very excited to continue the, you know, uh, this podcast because we only get uh, got to answer one question you had for me last time. So let's see if we can do better this time. Yeah. Uh, or do, I don't think we could do much worse. I think that <laughs> we have a lot of room for improvement. Hopefully we'll get to at least two questions and make sure that this is not a, uh, you know, a 30 part episode um, with Michael Acevedo, just answering one question at a time. <laughs> I wanted to start out today by asking you what's something about yourself that not a lot of people know. Not sure uh, exactly what uh, topics did we discuss last time. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe a lot of that. We, we talked so many uh, you know things. Uh, uh, maybe that I like psychedelics. Is that allowed? Can I say that in the podcast or will we get banned? I, I had a whole show about psychedelics with uh, Tommy Angelo. So I think we're okay. Okay, that's good then. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like psychedelics and uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's something that not, not a lot of people know about me. And maybe that I used to breed dogs. I used to have uh, bull terriers and go to dog show competitions, stuff like that. Yeah, we knew that because you're, the dog you wanted ate the, ate the fork. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and did, did it make it out the other side, uh, metaphorically and literally, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So tell me about psychedelics. What is it about psychedelics that draws you in? Uh, well, like mushrooms, LSD, DMT, uh, it's not like you will do them very regularly. At least I don't. Um, it's something that I just enjoy doing from time to time. I think it helps you just get uh, in touch with yourself and in some sense kind of expand your consciousness. Once you try psychedelics once, if you do it the right way, 
you'll never be the same person again. That's guaranteed. Um, just helps you see world in a different manner and experience things in a different manner as well. And by the right way, what do you mean by that? Oh, well, get something that is good quality and do it in a good environment. Like, for example, some people might have had uh, bad experiences with some, you know, type of drugs or something. But uh, mainly uh, the bad experiences that I've heard are people uh, being sold something that isn't pure or that is mixed up with something else. So that will, of course, uh, mess up your your experience if you're not getting a, you know, if the substance that you think you are getting. So you need to make sure that you're getting something that is um, exactly what people are telling you it is. Get it from a, from a person that you trust. And also do it in the right environment. Um, for me, at least, it's important to have uh, good music and a safe environment for doing it, right? So that, for example, DMT. DMT is called, it's also called the God molecule. So it's something that is really, really strong. And some people might get scared at first when they try it. So uh, basically, um, the way it works, well, you can smoke it uh, in, a different, in different ways. You smoke it, you, uh, the, the, the smoke is quite dense. And um, so you need, to do, you need to have some sort of technique to do it right. And also, it depends on how much uh, you can handle. So, for example, if you take um, three or you can take up to five hits, I think uh, that's five hits is the most I've taken uh, at once. After the fifth hit, your consciousness just vanishes and <laughs> you sort of become one with the universe. It's some, some, some very weird experience where it's difficult to put into words what you see, what you experience. Because unlike LSD, it's not like you're seeing a bunch of images and having hallucinations. Uh, it's more like experiencing the stuff. So you could be living a different life completely. You could be experiencing um, life in a different planet or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure if I believe in those things. But what I know is that um, it feels real, right? So at least somehow your brain is tricked into thinking that all these things that you're experiencing are real. So you can taste them. You can see in them, you can feel these things. And so it can be overwhelming for some people. And so for that, it is good to have a, a safe environment um, with soft music, something that will help you uh, during the trip. And yeah, make sure that you're with people that you trust. And the whole thing with, for example, with DMT only lasts five minutes. But in these five minutes, you could feel like you live a thousand lives. It's something that is, it could be overwhelming for some people. So, so yeah, I just um, think it's important to do it with the right people and make sure that you're taking the right substances and that you are going to be safe. Sounds like five minutes spent pretty well living a thousand oh. lives. Oh, yeah, man. It is. Uh, yeah, if you've never tried DMT, I just can't even explain it to you because, uh, yeah, it's something that is, is very hard to put into words. When I started this show, I smoked marijuana recreationally, and I'm going to end the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast doing so many drugs, <laughs> <laughs> so many conversations about drugs. Tell me, you, you said your life is never the same. And I, I, want, I want you to expand on that and, and tell me what you mean by your life is never the same. And then also kind of tie it back into poker, right? Like how does this affect your, the way that you think about playing cards? Uh, well, first time I, I, I tried psychedelics was, um, 
maybe five, some five years ago in a, I, I before psychedelics, I, I, I tried like some other, you know, substances. I was never like uh, addicted to anything, not even marijuana. Um, I actually don't really, don't really like pot that much. Like maybe if I'm in a party, somebody offers me, uh, I may take a hit or two, but that's it. I don't really like it that much. Uh, so I was at this uh, electronic music festival five years ago. It's called Ambition Festival. Uh, it's based here in Costa Rica. It happens yearly. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to happen next year because of COVID. But um, uh, yeah, it happens yearly. It's very good. It's a very cool experience. Uh, mostly, uh, is mostly it, people... It's like EDC in Vegas? Uh, it's different because EDC is more... Uh, okay, it's something that is more... Uh, popular right it's, it's, it's different how can i explain this okay uh ambition is more like having a bunch of hippies uh united in the same place right so uh besides having the electronic music section of the festival you also can attend workshops and they're also like yoga classes and stuff like that that you can just enjoy and just um learn about i don't know mushrooms or culture or uh, energy or whatever there's so many things happening simultaneously in this festival so it's something really cool because it's not only about the music, it's not only about drugs or about, you know, just uh, EDC, for example, it's about dressing nice or for guys like dressing very hot and then going, you know, having partying all, partying all night. But this festival is something else. It's something that actually um, helps you, you know, just connect with yourself, learning new stuff, connecting with like-minded people. And yeah, so I was at this festival and I had broken up with my girlfriend uh, just before the festival, like a week before something like that. And then we found each other in the festival and we, um, we, we took LSD together and it helped us bond and uh, helped us understand each other in a way where we were able to share some of our thoughts and our experiences in a way that uh, is difficult to communicate typically. And so uh, because of the drugs, we were able to understand each other at a very deeper level that we weren't able to understand each, each other before. And well, uh, the, after that, we got back together and we have been together see, uh, since then. So it's almost five years now that we have been together. And it's pretty cool because, yeah, uh, just having this um, psychedelic experience together that allows us to understand, not only understand each other, but also understand ourselves in a way where we saw why we were behaving in some ways, because you you can also get in touch with some part of yourself that you may not be aware of or not be free enough to understand or to accept that you have that part within yourself. So this deeper understanding of yourself uh, that also helps you connect with the other person on a deeper level is what I like about this type of uh, psychedelic drugs. Yeah, that's that is an incredible story. Is is the festival? Like how many people attend every year? Um, not sure how how many people, but it's it's, it's quite large. Uh, well, for Costa Rica, right? Most people attending are uh, European or Americans, right? There are actually very few Costa Rican or locals in the festival. My girlfriend and I are actually friends with one of the owners, and we met him recently this year. Uh, guy is a very cool dude, and so um, yeah, so um. He he's also he's I think he's Israeli yeah something like that um so yeah they they what they're trying to accomplish with this festival is exactly that just uh, help people you know live a different experience that uh, it will not be available uh, elsewhere easily right 
it's not like they will sell you the drugs, right? Or anything like that. But uh, it's just the environment. As I mentioned, you can get there and you can connect with like-minded people. It's a very safe environment. You can camp in there. They have like this camping section or you can stay at a hotel and then just, you know, get a taxi cab or drive to the festival. They will have like four different stages with different kinds of music all day uh, playing. And then all of these different workshops, like the schedule is pretty, uh, pretty tight with tons and tons of different uh, meditation, uh, workshops, uh, different things you can experience. I even got with my girlfriend to a meditation that was for women only, like something related to the womb. And, you know, she wanted me to be with her. Then. And just so I joined her and it was pretty cool, like the vibe, the energy that you can feel in this sort of temples that these people build and, and then the experience itself. It's amazing how uh, many things people are, are missing in life because they don't get... Uh, they don't give themselves the chance to experience something else than, you know, driving a car, going to your job or staying home or going to the movies. There are so many different things that you can experience that are very enriching life experiences. And this festival is one of those. Um, for anybody who likes those things, uh, I would recommend them to check them out. It's called Ambition Festival and it's going to resume in 2022 for sure. Yeah, you've sold me in 2022 heading down to costa rica to hang out at ambition festival i mean i, I can't imagine it at like edc right having a yoga class exactly, <laughs> a, a yoga exactly. workshop over on the <laughs> side right probably not gonna happen no no exactly it's completely different man uh at this type of festival is something else yeah uh, i've been going every single year ever since and yeah so i highly recommend uh for anybody who have who have the opportunity to, to just check it out yeah you got me pumped um <laughs> So let's let's do something that we've never done before. Let's move on to the next question. Um, All right. <laughs> we made it. What, <laughs> what's something the listener would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? Horrible at? Oh, addresses, man. Uh, I, I, I'm driving. I don't know. I, I cannot get anywhere if I don't have ways with me or, you know, a GPS. Uh, yeah, I just suck at that. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's like uh, um, I'm a handicap somehow. Like my brain doesn't process like the directions uh, the same way other people do. I don't know why, but I absolutely suck at that. Like, uh, also Costa Rican addresses are the worst. Like, if you're trying to find out how to get to some place, uh, they will not tell you like, okay, just find this street number and you know whatever. Like, and, and anything like that. Uh, we don't even have street numbers, or we have them, but nobody knows what they are. And so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you need to get somewhere. They will tell you, okay, you need to find uh, this old barber shop that is called whatever name, but it doesn't exist anymore. So just find that place that doesn't exist anymore, and from there you need to move how <laughs> this many blocks and find this like uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, this lemon tree or any sort of tree that you need to find, and then from that moving a different direction and direction like what like. These directions are the worst. And then, yeah, uh, my um, sense of orient I don't know how to say this in English, but yeah, my uh, physical sense that tells me where I'm at in, in the universe doesn't work. It just, I need a GPS to find any place. Yeah. You, you and me are both the same, sir. We are cut from the same cloth because <laughs> I get spun around. And if I take like three turns, I don't know where the hell I'm at. I, I get lost all the time. I was in Vegas one time following my GPS and like was going to the strip and then got on the highway and did it like, actually, no, I missed the highway and got on the strip on like a Saturday night and had to turn around. And I was like, what on what's, what's happening? Like I, I need a GPS 
to do anything like, or I need to go to like one place from one place, like 30 times before it, I get it in my memory. Like yeah. it takes a lot of reps. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same here, man. <laughs> so this is a question I, I'm tinkering around with, but do you have any, could, could you tell me a lesson you've learned from a dark teacher? Dark teacher, uh, meaning a person or what do you mean about that? Like a, a negative experience, a negative person that gave you some wisdom that allows you to navigate your life better. Um, I guess, I don't know, there are uh, a lot of those, um, pretty much any people who's ever harmed me or, yeah, uh, I, I just, I don't know, because I don't really keep any sort of, what is the word uh, for this in English? Um, yeah, I don't stay mad at people, right? Like, for example, um, my ex-girlfriend, the previous one, um, before the one I have now, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but she left uh, She left me because I started playing online poker and I didn't have time to party anymore. So I was, um, back then I was playing poker at the casinos, right? Uh, since like maybe six, seven years ago, I don't know. I was playing poker at the casinos and she was used to me having uh, time and money all the time. So any poker day would be like, uh, you know, when I go party and any Friday, any Saturday night, always, I will be going out and partying with her, you know. So when I started playing online poker and I didn't have money and um, I also wanted to stay home because I wanted to be fresh and, and rested to play poker, online poker, uh, she would understand that. So she will start to go party on her own, right? And so she had this supposedly gay friend, right? <laughs> and she ended up uh, shitting on me with, with this guy. Um, so yeah, uh, that happened. And of course, that um, that hurt me big time back then. But um, I don't have any um, bad feelings about her anymore. Yeah, even actually, she um, contacted me maybe a year, two years ago or something like that, because she needed help. Uh, her sister died and, and she needed some money to, you know, for the funeral and stuff like that. And she didn't even really have anybody else to contact because it turns out that being a bitch, uh, you know, with everybody, uh, you just end up having no friends, right? And so, um, yeah, she just had no friends, uh, nobody she could reach out. And so she reached out to me, even though she, um, you know, did this horrible thing to me. And I helped her. I helped her. I uh, just I didn't even lend her the money. I just gifted her the money, right? And yeah, so I, I don't really keep any bad feelings towards anybody who's done harm to me in the past. I just continue with my life. Now, they will no longer be part of my, my, uh, my journey, but I don't want them to have any, I don't want anything bad to happen to anyone. So uh, maybe, yeah, I don't really have like this many, um, uh, memories of a bad teacher or something that really, you know, um, well, it, yeah, it's more like, sure. <laughs> firstly, firstly about, about your ex-girlfriend, you know, I think one thing that the listener needs to take away is your vibe attracts your tribe. Right. And if you're bad to people, then the only people that you're going to attract are similar people who will not have your back when things go down. And secondly, 
the follow-up question is, you know, what lesson did you take away from that experience that you applied to your next experience, right? Because you go through something traumatic like that, you come out the other side a little bit changed with a little different perspective, a little bit more wisdom about the world. So yeah, to, to go back to the original question, you know, that that's sort of the fruit of what I was trying to get at. Hey, maybe, maybe from this could be um, that, well, yeah, um, if you're dating... For example, people complain all the time. Girls complain that uh, all of the all, all boys, we are the same, right? That we all cheat or we are the same, whatever. Turns out that we are not, right? So maybe the people that you are dating, they are all the same. So uh, it turns out that it is you who choose these people in your life. So if, well, I experienced that I was dating the same type, uh, type of girls, these party girls, right? And, well... Uh, so how can I be surprised if, you know, um, I'm dating the exact same type, same type of girl over and over again, and I get cheated. And, you know, it's just this type of a party girl who, who has like no ambitions in life. All she cares about is, you know, what's the next party? Uh, what is it going to be? And, you know, um, yeah. So you need to change that. You need to change the people that you um, um, get along with. And that's really important, right? So it, it, I know people said that Einstein, Einstein said this. I'm not sure if he did, but he said uh, supposedly that uh, if you expect to have a different outcome and you keep doing the same thing, you're just stupid, right? So that's the definition of stupidity. And so, yeah, uh, I learned that, well, if I want to have, um, you know, a trustworthy relationship with somebody else, I needed to stop dating uh, these uh, type of girls. So I stayed uh, alone for over a year after this relationship. And then I found my current girlfriend and we have been together for almost five years now. So uh, yeah, that does, maybe that's the lesson there. Yeah. And, you know, I tend to think that a lot of times if we, if we keep getting bad results, right, we ought to start looking at the process behind how these results are coming in. Like, what is our process for finding a mate? What is our process for playing poker, improving at poker? Like, if our process stays the same and we sucked yesterday, well, chances are we're going to suck today. And chances are, if the process never changes, we're going to suck one year from now, right? So, like, upgrade your process, how you go about doing these things, and then the results will change. But until you upgrade your process, the results are going to stay the same, forever and ever. And that's just the way that life is. So yeah, I know it's easy to fall into habits. It's easy to fall into routine. Um, it's easy to stay in your comfort zone. But a lot of times, you know, what you want lies outside of your comfort zone. And you've got to you've got to be uncomfortable to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. Just change your habits. And also your circle, man. Um, there is this theory that says that uh, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with and i totally agree with that like if if you spend uh most of your time you know with um with five i don't know uh millionaires you'll be the sixth millionaire i'm 100 sure of that right uh, but if you also spend your uh you know most of your time with you know uh and with the guys who are like uh low life so people who are like you know doing bad things uh you'll be the sixth one doing those things and i've experienced that through life it's true you need yeah. to be are, you know, yeah, you need to find good people, people with good habits, uh, smart people, or people who just have uh, maybe a just a good soul. That's so valuable. And yeah. 
just take uh, stock, take stock of your friends, take stock of your relationship, right? Like if you, if your only poker inner circle is five recreational players, you're going to be the sixth recreational player. That's just how it's going to be, right? So like, again, you got to exit your comfort zone, seek out players who are playing at a higher level than you. And in some cases, for some people, it makes sense to pay for coaching, right? Because this is an easy way to improve your inner circle. You just throw money at the problem, right? And if you aren't in a position to pay for coaching, then the other side is you just got to put yourself out there. You got to find where these people congregate and start asking questions, start providing them value, right? This is another part of it. Don't expect that like you're going to find a crusher and they're just out of the kindness of their own heart, answer every single question that you have about poker, right? (laughs) Like you need to, you need to give something to them as well because their time is valuable and they understand when they're being taken advantage of. And that's not a good way to, to make friends to just take, take, take. So, you know, give value to these people or throw money at it. I guess either way you're giving value, right? It's just, do you want to spend your time or do you want to spend money? Yeah. And I think actually getting coaching, um, I don't know why, uh, but uh, some people don't um, feel like everything that is to be learned from poker can be learned from for free. And that's definitely not true. Co- getting coaching is uh, absolutely paramount, of paramount importance, right? There is, uh, there is a point uh, in any player's poker career where you get to a halt and there is nothing you can do on your own to move uh, past it, right? So when you reach that point and you see like, okay, maybe you've been playing poker for years. Maybe uh, I, I'm a recreational player. I don't want to be a, a professional player, but you still see that you maybe have been playing for you know some time and you haven't seen like any improvement in your results. Maybe you have read a few poker books. Maybe you, you purchase or pay for a, a coaching program. Uh, maybe you spend a lot of money on it. Uh, there are some that maybe are sold for $1,000 and some of them are not worth $1,000. I can tell you that. Uh, and sometimes getting coaching uh, with the right person, somebody you respect, and getting an hour or two of that person's time to particularly look into your own case and give you the feedback that you need based on your own experience is so valuable. And maybe, yeah, it's not, you don't have to spend thousands of hours in coaching, maybe a couple sessions with a person you respect who can really uh, use their time and their knowledge into your own specifics. That's so much more valuable. And, and yeah, uh, the return of that investment uh, cannot even be measured. No, it, it, it can't. And people plateau for a reason, right? Because that's what their own thinking, that's what their own logic, their own studying, that's what got them to that point. And it's, they're not going to rise up because they're only relying on themselves. So it's just a circular loop over and over and over again. When you have that outside perspective that opens a different door that you never anticipated or you never even considered or thought about, then you're able to explore that area of the decision tree. You're able to explore that area of poker and you're just able to grow in ways that you just can't by yourself because you don't know what you don't know, right? You only know what you don't know when somebody points it out and tells you and you're like, oh shit, I got to start investing my time in that now, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes through just a discussion, a conversation with a higher level player than yourself. Absolutely, and. Yeah, just um, we as humans, we are a, a social animal, right? So uh, some people tell me all the time, like, man, um, you, you, uh, you're really cool. Like, uh, you're this, you know, self-made man. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm not a self-made man. Like, nobody is. You know, I've had so many important people, you know, 
that have touched my life and, and helped me or guided me or showed me something that moved me towards some direction that, that uh, nobody can ever tell that, you know, they're self-made. Like I've had friends who maybe not be here with me right now, but, you know, they were part of the process at some point. And yeah, maybe a poker coach, maybe even your wife or your friends or whoever is, uh, you need to make sure that your connections in life are, are good. And if they are dragging you down, you need to reassess those connections. Uh, for instance, if you are not uh, doing well in your relationship, right? If you're constantly fighting with your girlfriend or your wife, it's, it's impossible for you to be, um, you know, uh, light-minded when you play poker. To be like, you know, in this sand state where you can sit out at the tables and maybe focus, laser focus and, and just play against your opponents and compete when you know that you have these big issues in your personal life. So you need to make sure that if you want to play poker or pursue any other sort of, uh, you know, a hobby or, or um, uh, yeah, or things that you enjoy, you need to make sure that it's competitive. You need to make sure that uh, you try to balance out all of the other areas of your life and the connections are particularly important or particularly important here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two points from that. The first point is that, I don't even see the value in being like a self-made person, right? Like who wants to go through this journey of life by themselves all alone without having, without having friends uh, along with you for the ride. Like that's, that's what it's about, right? Like poker is an individual game, but who wants to go on that journey by themselves, right? 30 years down the line by yourself. Like that's not fulfilling. That's not happiness. You're just alone. Maybe you're the best player in the world. You're probably not because, you know, you need those outside sources. But even still, like, why, why do that, right? Like, why make things harder on yourself than, than they need to be? And enjoy the journey. Be fulfilled. Yeah, I, I used to be like that. I used to be like this very um, self-centered person, right? Uh, I was When I was studying physics in uh, uh, college, I always thought that I was going to end my life, like, you know, living in this basement, like, you know, running calculations or doing uh, experiments and being this, uh, like, scientific type of person. And then, um, yeah, I started going out, uh, you know, becoming more social and something changed in me, right? And then the purpose of my life uh, changed. Uh, before, uh, I used to feel like I wanted to live, like, uh, this landmark in the world. And maybe when I died... Um, they will put my name in an equation or something like that. And, and then that will be the meaning, the meaning of my life, you know? <laughs> and yeah, uh, turns out that that's just bullshit. Um, what really I care about now, I really care about now is, uh, well, having lived a really fulfilling life. And it's all about the journey. I was having this conversation on um, LSD with some friends the other day, actually. And yeah, um, uh, my friend was saying that, yeah, we well, we die alone. Uh, we born, are born alone, and we also die alone. He was trying to make a point where you know you can only rely on yourself. And I told him, you know what? That's that's not true because yeah, um, we might be born alone and die alone, but you know, um, the, the just the fact that we are here having this conversation right now is the um, uh, is because of all of the connections and all of the interactions that we had before us. So um, there is, it's impossible for us to really accomplish anything if we are alone. And if we were alone, like if you were the only single person in this world, would you even try to accomplish anything at all? Probably not, right? So at the end of the day, the real meaning of this, uh, everything that happens in our lives is just uh, the connections that we have, uh, the bonds that we can create. 
and uh, what can we actually, uh, after we have already put a lot of effort and work into our own selves, what can we also leave to the other human beings in this planet? What can we do for them as well? Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of space in between being born alone and dying alone, right? There's a lot of space in the middle there to have experiences, to meet people, to have relationships. And, you know, like you said, if, if that was the case, then what's the point of doing anything, right? Why, yeah. even, why even get out of bed in the morning if everything is meaning, meaningless? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's not a world that... That's not a world or a life that I would personally want to live or be a part of. What's the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? Um, unexpected thing from poker. Interesting. Uh, not sure. Maybe um, maybe the fact that poker, as you just mentioned, poker is actually not a um, an individual game. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's impossible. Like most people I know in poker, they have a crew of uh, a team of players or, you know, a crew that they get together and they study or they enjoy poker, you know, as a team. So that's maybe something that is, is um, not perceived by most people. Yeah, poker is not an individual game. It's a team game. And you need to make a team. If you don't have one, find one or build it yourself because that's the only way to really enjoy it and to get the most out of it. 100%. And point number two that I was making, when you're talking about humans being emotional creatures and how a relationship that's not healthy will affect your poker play. I just wanted to tie in and say that like, if you think your emotions don't affect you, outside the, your outside emotions at the poker table, you're out of your mind because poker is an emotional game. And most people don't realize that, but most of the decisions that players make in poker are emotional decisions. They're driven by some form of emotion. And when those emotions are compromised, when they're heightened before you sit down and play your session, you're screwed, you're done. Like you're going to be compromised, your thought process will be distorted, your results will fall apart. There is no other, um, there's no, no other uh, result that that's going to come from that. Yeah, well, we are emotional beings. Uh, you're 100 percent right there, and not only affects you, your emotions not only affect you in poker, but in every single other aspect of, of your life. I have some friends who are. Um, traders they trade stocks or uh, the forex exchange market crypto whatever and they said also that 90% of traders fail because of their emotions they lack this uh, emotions this, this control for their emotions and they actually said that for me as a poker player it would be rather easy to become a trader if i wanted to because I already have that emotional control that is, is key uh, for success. And I think, yeah, it probably uh, affects most areas areas in your life that most people are not even aware of. For sure. I, I remember a story of a chess player who every day he would spend an hour meditating and he would just meditate and try to feel his emotions, to feel what kind of emotions he felt that day. Is he Does he feel aggressive? Does he feel passive? And however his emotions felt that day, that was how he would structure his chess strategy on that day to be in yeah. line with his emotions. Yeah, nobody Fisher meditated. Maybe it was him. And it's it's interesting because you will think that you know chess is you know uh, just a logical game, but it is not. Emotions also affect chess in in a big manner as well. I'm a, a big chess fan, so yeah, hundred percent with you on that one. Yeah, and uh, wanted to go back to you know your content creation, and you're not playing much much poker these days yeah right now i'm not playing that much uh just finished the uh championships right 
So I'm not trying to become uh, the best poker player I can right now. So uh, I think uh, I still try to improve my game, but it's constantly happening, right? Because I'm learning new stuff that I, I can teach or I can create content for. But my own learning process is kind of a byproduct of me studying the game. Yeah, when I get a new student, what I try to do is, well, I always send them the same uh, set of questions. It's just five questions that will give me a very good insight of uh, what this player is, uh, uh, what, what is his current level right now and what is he aiming for. So I try to create a uh, the best possible learning experience for him. So it is tailor-made when I have one-on-one sessions. I don't do that as much one-on-one coaching, but when I do, this is the process that I take. So I will try to um, set up goals and ask him, okay, so where are you right now? And what is that you want to accomplish? Do you want to be a professional poker player or are you just a recreational player who wants to be better, right? What is it? Are you focused on cash games, on multi-table tournaments, uh, sit and goes? What is it? Do you play live mostly? Do you play online mostly, right? So depending on the, the answers to these questions, I will try to tailor a, a specific uh, a study, um, specific, some more specific study method for him. And yeah, and so depending on the current level, most of my students are very accomplished uh, high stakes players, right? So what they're trying to do is to reach the next level or find an edge over their opponents. And so uh, maybe doing some uh, study of the database and finding out leaks or finding out uh, points where they deviate or points where they can start to exploit the opposition in a certain manner. And so, yeah, um, it is very, um, um, it's very unique to each individual, the, the way I teach poker. And for me, if I wanted to, uh, to do it myself, to be the number one player in the world, I wouldn't probably be uh, spending um, too much time coaching or doing all the other stuff than studying. Because I think if you want to be number one, absolutely. I have some students who want to be number one. You have to be, you have to have the mindset of a uh, um, Olympic medalist, like these guys who will be like running marathons or stuff that they will just wake up early every single morning and train, 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 train. And their lives will revolve mostly around these things, right? Uh, right now for me, I'm very happy with the stakes I'm playing, with the games I'm playing. I'll be playing the uh, 10K WSOP main event in GG Poker this Sunday. Uh, I feel like for me, uh, up to 10K buy-ins is pretty good. It's more than good enough. Uh, I'm not feel like I need to get to the 100Ks or the 50Ks or the 300Ks super high roller. I don't need to get to those stakes to be happy in life anymore. I'm very content with the you know the place I'm uh, at poker right now in terms of uh, a skill, the time that I spend playing poker. And I like doing all the stuff and I actually enjoy coaching all players uh, a, a lot, quite a lot. So I don't feel like I will be happy or happier if I will give up a section of my life, uh, give up some things that I enjoy doing for, you know, trying to become a just particularly better poker player that I could possibly be. Uh, for some people that is, maybe if I was younger, if I had a different mentality, because when I, uh, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, when I started playing online poker and I decided to just uh, pursue poker as a career uh, and give it my all, I was 28 years old already. If I had been 18 instead of 28, maybe it would have been different. Uh, but right now I'm just super happy with, you know, the lifestyle that I have and I'm not really looking to change it. So the, pr- the process for me as a poker player is different than the process that I designed for my students or that I will recommend to different types of people.
and you know, there's a lot of, lot of takeaways from that. And the first thing is, you know, that's a sign of a wise poker coach, right. Who wants to teach his students from their own paradigm, right. Where they're at, give them information that helps them exactly where they're at in their journey. Not just this like shotgun approach that may help some people and may not apply to other people. You want to tailor, you want to make your private coaching sessions tailor made to that individual so that they get the maximum from them. And then secondly, um, there's a Russian proverb that says, if you chase two rabbits, you chase none. And yeah. going back to the, uh, the Olympic metaphor that, that you use there, uh, a friend of mine, Olympian gold medalist, I asked him one time because he's a father, he's a husband now. And I asked him like, how can you be a world champion? How can you be a gold medalist? and be a great spouse, and be a great father. And he said, well, it's really easy. You don't. You don't get to choose both. You get one or the other. He's like, I've seen it happen a million times. Guys that compete at a world-class level, and they get in a relationship, they get married, and either A, their marriage is going to fall apart, or B, their athletic pursuits are going to fall apart. That's just that's the result. Like if you're striving to be the best, you need to be singularly focused on being the best. It's a selfish journey, right? So, you know, I, I think yeah. that like that's a very wise way to go about it. Yeah, that's but that, that depends exactly on the level of the goal that you're trying to accomplish, right? So that's why I ask people, do you want to be a professional player? Do you want to be the number one? What, what is it? What is your goal, right? Because, yeah, if your goal is to be number one, well, you need to uh, be ready to make some big sacrifices for that goal. Uh, but if your goal is just to make some uh, side income, playing poker, just, you know, enjoy yourself. I know that you're not just burning money every time you sit at the table. So that's great. You can be, uh, I don't know, a heart surgery or whatever, and you can still do that. Uh, it's not a problem, right? So I ha I've had all sorts of students. Most of them are like uh, uh, high-profile players. So the coaching, for example, uh, that I will uh, prepare for somebody like Patrick Antonius is way different than the coaching that I will give to somebody who plays online mostly, uh, cash games or entities, or the coaching that you will give. For example, I had this student who is a um, retired uh, player. Uh, he's retired. He uh, He's rich. He has these companies. So he's just uh, enjoying his life now. He likes to travel and he likes to play poker. And well... He has tons of money, but not because he has tons of money. It means that he likes he used to light that money on fire. He's competitive. He likes to sit down and play and, and win. So the coaching that I, I offer him is completely different to the coaching that he will offer, you know, to a, a high-stakes cash games player or a, a on, online entities crusher, right? Completely different. So, yeah, and in the, the sense of what you mentioned, there is one book called The One Thing. Uh, that is probably the best single book I've ever, ever uh, read. Uh, the one thing uh, that really helped me uh, through different uh, points of my life. Because, yeah, at some point, I was obsessed with becoming the best poker player I could be. And that was when I first started playing online, right? Now, then I reached a point where now I'm really good. And I'm just uh, having uh, having a very good success in the level that I'm currently at right now. And I also get to teach other people and do other stuff. So I'm not trying to increase that level. I'm very happy. I still learn new stuff as a side byproduct of the, you know, learning experience that I give to other people or the, the study process that I, I follow through poker. But yeah, so that, that's some great uh, advice right there. You, if It depends all on what your goals are and what are you ready to sacrifice for those goals. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm 100 certain that my Russian proverb is on like page one of the one thing. That's uh, <laughs> exactly how the book starts out, right? Yeah. Um, and, and another thing that I'd like to add is that folks kind of assume that players who are playing at the highest levels are the folks who are the best poker coaches, right? And I think that that is a false assumption because it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time thinking about how to communicate knowledge to another person. How do I teach, right? How do I become the best coach that I can be? That takes a lot of time and energy and it's separate from the journey of being the best poker player that you can be. And that's something that is totally misunderstood as it relates to poker coaching. Just because somebody is like the number one player in the world does not mean that they're a great poker coach. If they haven't taken the time and energy to reflect and think about communicating their knowledge in an effective way. Absolutely. And it happens in all areas in life. Like, for example, um, the best uh, football or soccer coaches, well, won't necessarily be the best players, right? Uh, same for uh, the best MMA coaches, right? The trainers, maybe uh, not necessarily they are, they, they used to be the top players, uh, the top fighters, not necessarily, you know, they could be, they, 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 they were, they, they play, they, uh, they were in the mix, but they were not necessarily the top ones, but they learn, you know, what uh, this skill that um, is teaching or understanding at a deeper level of how to transmit uh, knowledge, which is absolutely paramount, paramount importance when you are uh, trying to teach to somebody else. I have some uh, friends who are amazing players, like, um, for example, my friend, uh, uh, Bert Stevens, Giraffe Ganger 7, he plays uh, online poker sites, uh, poker stars as Giraffe Ganger. And he, I think, I think a couple of years ago, he was number one, uh, the number one ranked player in the world. This year, he's made over a million dollars in just pure profit playing online. He's a, ma a massive sicko, um, but he is just not as, as good as, uh, as a coach. Or he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have that in him in, uh, that much. I've uh, been doing some coaching with him uh, for PokerCoaching.com, so uh, some webinars. And what we have been doing is uh, he sends me his hand history. I will review it. I will mark the hands and then we will get together in a Zoom call and offer this webinar where we go over his hands and I will ask him questions and I will, I will try to extract the knowledge from his brain with the right set, uh, set of questions pointing him in the, in the right direction because otherwise, you know, if it was up to him to do it, he just uh, doesn't know how. It's not the skill that he has. So he uh, specifically requested uh, to Jonathan Little uh, to, you know, do the webinars alongside somebody else. Uh, and he requested me because he knew that, you know, together the both of us will be able to extract the most out of, you know, his poker plays. Uh, well, if he would do it alone, he might not have been, as, uh, you know, as good as extracting or uh, transmitting the data or the information that people uh, enjoyed when we did it together. So yeah, it's, it's a completely separate thing to be good at something or to be good at teaching something. Those are completely different skills for sure. Yeah, that, that's extremely clever and takes a lot of self-awareness to even say that in the first place, to even structure something with somebody else because you know that you're not that great at poker coaching, right? There's a lot of you know, that, that, that to me is an impressive level of self-awareness to even recognize that about yourself, that maybe you're not a great coach and like, that's okay. You know, you don't, we don't, okay, yeah. not everybody's the best coach. Not everybody's the best player. We all have our different skill sets and the, the things that we pursue. So, you know, just accept them and have awareness of what your goal is and what you want to be. 
Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Mm, joy. Well, uh, if, if we think about, um, well, the origins of a joy and enjoying playing cards comes from playing Magic, the Gathering, <laughs> this trading card game. I used to have a lot of joy when um, I remember being a kid, like 16 years old, and going in a road trip with my best friend who also played cards. And we will move from San Jose City downtown to one of the um, most, I don't know, um, far away cities, right? Uh, in, in Costa Rica where they had these stores where you could go and play how cards. How far away? How far away is this? Like how long does it take you to, to get oh, there? Costa Rica is quite small, but the road trip by bus could be, I don't know, uh, four hours, something oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it was long. And um, so we were 16 years old and we didn't have money. So we would just, you know, take uh, enough money to pay for the bus uh, passage and then get there and participate in a tournament and then beat the shit out of anybody else in the tournament. And every single time both of us will travel to a different uh, city or small town to play every single time, either me or him or me will finish finish uh, first and second place every single. So it was amazing because it was this competition where we will go to a different a small town to this tournament and play. You know, place finish first and second. We didn't have the money, just enough to travel, and then we will like maybe buy uh, some uh, bread and butter and sit down at the street, and that will that will be our lunch we, because we didn't really have much money, right? So, but. We didn't have money. We didn't have like fancy things. We barely had enough to eat. 
but we enjoyed so much playing cards and just you know reaching these places and competing and then you know making sure that we will win against anybody else in, in, in our country that was a lot of fun then I, I learned poker of course and i found that i could actually make money while playing cards and i i fell for poker because you know i noticed i realized that i could make a living out of this game and that's the special thing about poker, right? I was hoping at some point, I, I thought, am I, am I going to become a, a magic, the uh, getting pro player, right? Because um, that's the dream. You just play cards for, for a living, right? That's, uh, that's the dream. And then I found poker and I was like, holy shit, I, I can actually probably make a living out of this. So I fell for it. And uh, luckily for me, and now I get to say that I can play cards for a living and I have a lot of joy. So... It's not the same as it was before, you know, when you were a kid and you were just, you know, uh, traveling and and the price for these tournaments that we will win, it will be like a, a booster, a couple of booster cards, right? It, was, it wasn't money, but the enjoyment was there. It was so much that it, it got me to where I am here right now. That enjoyment, uh, that um, motion, that, um, that uh, yeah, that sense that tells you, well, you can do something that you love. And if you can make a living out of this, there is no bigger enjoyment than this one. So yeah, that that will be the, probably the answer to your question, I think. And you know, tying back into something that we talked about earlier, right? You're on the journey with someone else. You're not by yourself, yeah. right? And that matters. That's a big deal. I'm sure that thinking back to those memories of riding on the bus for hours, right? Nowadays, if you would think about riding on a bus for four hours to go play in a Magic the Gathering tournament to win some booster cards, you would be like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would I <laughs> want to do that, right? That's, that sounds like torture. But back then, you know, it was a massive source of joy. It was exciting. You're on, a, on an adventure with your friend. And, you know, I have similar, similar joyful memories myself of moving down to Florida when I first started playing cards and driving from my friend's house about 40 minutes to a a boat, a cruise to nowhere where we just played poker in international waters for about four hours. And then the cruise would come back and they would dock and there would be like a a, a three hour break. And then they would have a nightly cruise too. So like in that three hour break, me and my friend, we would go to fast food restaurant. Like we'd go to Wendy's, we'd order our food and we would just sit there for three hours talking nonstop poker and eating our food. Like, (laughs) you know, in the hot floridian sun but like that does not sound very fun to me like today but back then man that was was so much that was everything it was so much fun like it was just a a world of immersion learning something new and being on an adventure with your friend and like it would not have been very fun if i was by myself (laughs) sleeping in the car at wendy's by myself right and you know something really funny is that my friend uh he ended up becoming the first uh magic the the gathering national champion so uh, what happened was that um, they announced the championship, right? And then we, we enrolled. And actually, we, we weren't like uh, playing anymore like uh, consistently, right? So we were in separate ways. When they first announced the, the, the first championship that was going to happen, it was a few years after uh, I had started playing, right? And so it turns out that on his own, he decided to, to have this red deck, uh, this strategy, right? And then on my own, I decided to have the exact same deck. So we were going to go and compete with the exact same deck of cards. <laughs> but what happened is this. I sold mine to a guy uh, like a month before the tournament, right? I sold it. Uh, it was a lot of money for me. So I sold it. And the guy traveled to Panama. And he told me he'll be back to Costa Rica in time for a tournament. So he will just lend me the deck to play the tournament. I was like, okay, yeah, that's a great deal. So I just 
I'll sell it to you and you give back to me to play the national championship. Awesome. I did that. The guy didn't come back in time. So I couldn't, I couldn't play the tournament. My friend, he played it with the exact same deck that I would have played and he won the whole thing. And then years after, you know, he is still, every time um, I visit him or anything, he had this plate in his door that says, uh, Maldigarin, uh national champion. And I don't have that. And it's <laughs> so annoying because <laughs> he won it. Uh, and we were so competitive uh, against each other. And well, if you can find that in poker as well, man, that's so valuable because, uh, yeah, having that connection, somebody who you can relate to, like, you know, I won this or I went to play this tournament, just have that. It will get you to places that you could never reach alone for sure. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron and having somebody who's on the same journey as you, who's competing to be the same thing you're trying to be, you push each other to places that neither one of you could ever make it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I have the opposite question for you. When you think about pain in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I think maybe the first one that comes could be the first time uh, I realized I was, uh, I was already, I was posted my bankroll. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, maybe that was back in 2011, maybe 2010, not sure. So, um, yeah, I was playing at a casino and it's so stupid that, you know, <laughs> that, that it happened this way. So I was playing at the casino and I had, uh, I was down to my maybe, I don't know, um, $1,000, I don't know, maybe less than that. And so I remember... Uh, uh, I was playing maybe, yeah, this was the, the first time I went broke trying to become a, a professional poker player. So I was down, yeah, I was down to my last $200 buy-in. I bought that in, which is a stupid, like if it's your last $200, you shouldn't be buying in, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was my last $200 and I bought in and I lost it. And I realized I was completely broke, like 100% broke. I remember uh, walking out of the casino feeling uh, devastated, absolutely crushed. And I will call my girlfriend. Uh, we weren't, uh, yeah, I was a different girlfriend back then. Another one from the story that I mentioned. And I called her and she was actually studying uh, uh, a psychologist a student. She was really good at listening and, and stuff like that. So I called her on the phone and I think, I think I cried. I'm not sure, but I think I cried with her on the phone telling her that I, uh, I fucked up, that I... Uh, uh, I lost it all. And it was the first time that I was broke trying to be a professional poker player. And so she told me, well, um, what's now? What's next? And I just told her, uh, I don't know, I guess just getting a job, right? Because uh, that's something that I also always, uh, something that my, maybe my, my, I was raised by my, my grandmother uh, when I was a child, then my mother. And so my, my grandmother, she always taught me that uh, you need to, to take um, ownership of uh, your mistakes, right? And I've seen people who try to become professional poker players and then they will ask for money to play poker. They will ask for uh, um, um, somebody to lend them money, uh, something like that. I will never do that. I think that's beyond stupid, stupidity. If you don't have money to play poker, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't go uh, you know, asking for a loan to play. Uh, I've seen people like I know a guy who got shot here in Costa Rica because he asked money to some Colombians that he couldn't pay. And the interest rate was, I think it was 10% a week or something like that retarded. So 
he asked for a lot of money and then he ended up owning owing them like millions and millions of Costa Rican colonies and he couldn't pay. So he they shot them. And yeah, I always uh, tried to stay away of that. And so I was like, you know what? Uh, I guess I, I need to get a job, right? So I just got into my car and uh, yeah, got back home feeling like absolutely shit. Uh, can, because, can you tell me uh, about the thoughts that were swirling in your mind? Like, what were you thinking in that time? When I got broke, I, I feel, I was, yeah, I was thinking that I fucked it up somehow because I managed to build some bankroll. I had no money, as, as, as I've mentioned before many times. So I, I managed to build some bankroll, and then I busted it all playing. And it it is difficult because now you know that you have no money to play. And even though you are used to having swings, maybe winning 500 bucks or $1,000 in a night and losing it back, uh, when you have like, I don't know, 6000 or $10,000, you know that you can get back and come back the next day and play. But this time I busted my final $200 and I knew I couldn't come back the next day and play. So I knew I had to just get a job. And if I wanted to play again, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to come and play the very next time I had $200 in my in my hands. I had to wait and save some money. So I could like, you know, at least have maybe a couple thousand or a thousand dollars to come on and have a few buy-ins to play and not be like this addicted uh, player who, you know, is just waiting to have the next hundred or 200 bucks to come and play and, and be like this type of person. I, I've never, I was never like that, uh, but it was for a lot of disappointment feeling like, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I fucked it up somehow. And uh, now I needed to find a way to do it back and it will be a slow way because I had to find a job first and then just, uh, yeah, save some money first to be able to come back to the tables. It, yeah, it, it may be more painful, but it's ultimately probably better in the long run that you take that time to recover so that you, you can reset your emotions. Because, you know, if you try to jump back in there one week later, again, when your emotions are heightened, you're more than likely going to fall into the same trap that you just fell into, right? You're, you're not going to get the wisdom out of the experience that may allow you to have, you know, be more successful next time. So again, having awareness uh, of your emotional state and realizing like, maybe this isn't even a great time for me to be playing cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that That is ultimately valuable in and of itself. Yeah, and I think that was the only time where when I busted every single penny I had, right? Like, Afterwards, I went broke, but I wasn't like completely broke, right? Like that time I busted my last $200 buying. And then, yeah, I, I, maybe I told myself this is not going to happen again. So the, the, then the final time, the third time that I went broke, which was after that one that I decided to play online poker, well, I, I was broke, but I was down to $2,000, right? So I wasn't at zero completely. Now, maybe $2,000 doesn't sound like much, but... Uh, I was able to live like six months here in Costa Rica with those $2,000. So uh, that was plenty enough, at least for me to not feel like, you know, I was uh, on the streets or anything like that. So, yeah, I I learned something from that one. But, yeah, the feeling of knowing that you're completely broke to your last penny is something that is beyond horrible. And I don't, uh, yeah, I hope nobody has uh, to go through that. Um, So uh, if you don't have the bankroll, if you're not rolled to play poker, uh, you shouldn't be uh, like trying to to do it in that way. Like if you're down to your last hundred or two hundred dollars, don't put it on the table. Just go home. <laughs> yeah, just uh, know know yourself. You know, leave your, leave yourself an out. Don't yeah. don't 
go all the way down to zero, have responsibilities that you need to take care of. And, you know, it's just something that you may not be able to come back from, right? Like there's a real possibility that you never played cards again or that it never stuck and you just left the game. Um, Yeah. So. um, Yeah. Plus, you won't be able to play well. Like, if, if you're playing with your last, you know, $100 or $200, you will be playing this credit money. You don't want to lose, and you're, you're going to lose it. 100% sure you're losing. Right. You're, you are emotionally compromised, and bad things are right around the corner. So better to just, you know, cut bait, take your losses, move on, and try again another day. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What do you think the most high impact action players can take to improve their game? Well, it, it depends on the level you are at, right? Um, there are different things that you could do. But let's say if you're just getting started, I always say uh, at least try to understand the preflop ranges. Just try to understand the preflop game. Um, if you have a, an overall okay idea of you know what type of hands you, you get to play from different positions, what type of uh, cards are good to re-raise with or to defend your blinds with, whatever, uh, you're in a good place to um, to get it started. Because now, if you're playing good pre-flop ranges, postal play becomes easier because now you're starting with, you know, um, good ranges that are easier to play post-flop and also allow you to better understand the post-flop situation. So the m- most important thing any poker player has to do regarding a strategy uh, is just learn pre-flop, then everything will follow. Yeah, I, I agree, and th- this was the same conclusion that I came to when it came to creating courses or material to help people out in their game. You know, I, I thought a lot about the place to start. Where is the correct place to start? And you know, it's just preflop. That's just where it has to be. You need an executable preflop strategy that you can implement and then go from there, right? Like that's the first decision in the tree. And if you screw it up and you're a beginner, you're going to cost yourself so much money on the flop turn and the river that it just becomes very, very, very difficult to be a winning player. So you need mm-hmm. to start out just memorizing optimal preflop strategy and go from there. Um, so I'm 100% in alignment with you there. What, what, what's some common poker advice you hear? that you completely disagree with? Mm, maybe that um, you shouldn't try to learn GTO because GTO is only for top players or for, you know, uh, wizards playing super high stakes or high rollers. That's not true at all. Uh, as I, I've mentioned many times before, uh, the purpose of studying GTO or game theory in poker or theory is not to try to memorize some charts, not to try to play robotic style, the purpose of, the stri- of studying GTO 
is to get a better understanding of the game. Uh, and so you can make better decisions. Basically, poker is a game of decision-making, right? And the player who can make the better decisions on average is going to end up making the most money on the long run. So you can use GTO as a tool that will help you make better decisions. Now, if you understand equilibrium, uh, then you can better exploit your opponents. At the end of the day, the goal is to exploit your opponents. You should never, ever try to play GTO. And if somebody tells you that he's a GTO wizard and that he plays GTO, uh, he's lying. Nobody plays GTO. Nobody can play GTO. And nobody should even try to play GTO, right? Uh, GTO, I, I see GTO more of sort of a defensive style, right? Let's say, for example, um, you are at a table and you are, you know that you are playing against somebody tough players, right? Against somebody who's really good, you need to have a solid core strategy, right? For example, um, it is correct GTO-wise to open, I don't know, um, 15% of your hands from under the gun uh, on average in a tournament, right? Uh, 900 table, let's say. But if you are, in, in, if instead of opening 15% hands, you're opening 30% hands from a early position, you will get destroyed. People will tribute you, they will go after you, they will re-raise you, they will call, uh, they will make your life hell. Just because of how likely it is for somebody uh, among the eight uh, remaining players to have a strong hand, it is impossible for you to play more than 15% hands, maybe 17% hands on average. Uh, it is impossible. If you try to play many more hands than that, you'll just get destroyed by your opponents. Well, uh, if you're playing in a very uh, soft table and you know nobody's ever going to re-raise you, you may get to play as many hands as you want because you get to see flops, you can maybe get to limb, you get to do whatever you want. So it depends on what you're doing. A very um, uh, good example that I uh, always use when people ask me about the difference between exploitative play and, and GTO is, is could be, it could be this one. So uh, let's say you race from, I don't know, middle position, 40 people in deep, 30 people in deep, it doesn't matter. People in calls in a tournament. Uh, you make a mean race for flop, people in calls. The flop comes, jack, jack, king, and the people checks to you, right? In this spot, the GTO play for you as the continuation betting player, as the in-position previous aggressive player, is to min bet. Uh, you can bet very small, just one minimum bet could be one big blind or 20% bot, 25% bot, whatever, just a small bet, and you can bet your entire range. That's the GTO play. Why? Why is that? Well, uh, if, you, you, if you understand GTO, you know that the reason for you to bet really small and to be able to bet your entire range in this board is because of the way the ranges interact with the board. The big plane range will be very wide. It will have a lot of trash, a lot of hands, like maybe 8-5 uh, suited, nothing, just pure airball. A lot of hands that will have to fold immediately to any bet size. So you can make the minimum bet and get your opponent to immediately fold a bunch of hands that he has nothing to do with in, in that situation. That's a huge win for you. And then... The big blind is also going to have a bunch of jack hex in his range. You're going to have like jack two suited, jack three suited, jack four suited that he defended pretty flop, jack seven, jack eight, jack nine offsuit, king jack that he defended pretty flop, right? So many jack x type of hands. So the big blind range is quite polarized in this situation. He has a jack, which is strips or better, or he has a bunch of air. 
and he doesn't have too many hands in between. So his main response is going to be in GTU in a GTU environment of he's a very good player. His main response should be to check race aggressively to your bet. So if you make a minimum bet or a very small bet here, you immediately can gain a lot of information from your opponent. He has to react to this. He has to fold like maybe half of his hands or maybe more than that to this minimum bet. And then he has to uh, build a check racing range with the rest of it. And so uh, that's why uh, you, uh, your range wants to bet small in this situation because your opponent range is quite polar and your range uh, is not as polar as him as he is now. This is GTO. But if you're playing against a, against a weak player, you know, this guy is a calling station. He's on the big blind. And, you know, he's not particularly aggressive. So um, if he has a king, he's never folding, never folding, regardless of what you do. And uh, he's only going to raise you if he has a jack or better, right? He's never going to check races a bluff and taking some backdoor, a straight possibility hands or whatever, and take those as a, as a, as a bluff and check race you. So, uh, well, go ahead and bet pot or bet large against the calling station and know that if he has air, he's going to fall regardless. But if he has a king, he's always calling. So you want to make sure that you extract the maximum amount of value against this uh, weak player who's a calling station. You want to go like pot, 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 and just get the maximum out of this guy. When you have and value, obviously. Get value, exactly. So uh, that's the difference between GTO and uh, exploitive play in that example. You see this flop, king, jack, jack, against the calling station? Go for the large bet. Who cares if you're not balanced? Doesn't matter. This guy is not aware. He will not try to exploit you. He will not do, be, be playing back at you. He will just call if he has a king. He will raise you if he has a jack and he just fold everything else. Just go for a large bet size. But against a good player who will be check racing you with some bluffs, some uh, backdoor equity type of hands, who will be playing back at you, go for the G2 equilibrium play, bet your range, and then go from there. So that's how you do it. You need to understand the equilibrium very well so you can further exploit your opponents when you know uh, where are the areas where they could be making mistakes and you can go from there. Yeah. Uh, one one way that I, I like to think about it is like if you're playing rock, paper, scissors against somebody, right? And the GTO strategy, just randomize, right? You can never lose. You just randomize every single time. But if you know that your opponent is choosing rock 80% of the time, the exploitative play is just to always choose paper. Always choose paper. Just yeah. always choose paper, right? So, you know, and one one thing that I see people get wrong about GTO. Well, first of all, like GTO and exploitative poker, they're two sides of the same coin. They're not really even, they're not different. Exploitative yeah. is just no locking very well, right? And then having a strategy against a, a, a player where you're node locking and making some assumptions. But like I did a seven-day challenge for poker coaching and I broke down one of my hands in Pio using some optimal preflop ranges and then kind of looking at the strategy, looking at like the equilibrium um, strategy that Pio spat back out at me. And I opened the button with eight, nine suited, the big blind three bet me, I called and the flop was like 10, seven deuce. And my opponent used 66% on the flop straight away on, you know, step one of the decision tree preflop, right? My opponent actually three-bet me with queen-five suited. And Pio, that is not in the optimal preflop range from the big blind, right? Like queen-five ought to be almost a pure flat in that situation. So like you're asking, I think of it like a genie, right? Like you're asking this gin a question and it's going to give you an answer back, right? And straight away, if my opponent does have queen-five suited in this spot and they ought to never have it, well, 
I've already asked the genie a bad question straight away, right? I didn't include queen five in the preflop range. Therefore, my answer is just trash. It's not even not even worth anything. So like, bear in mind that the person you're playing against, their strategy is going to dictate what you ought to be doing. And you can't just ask this genie a, a, a vague, broad question and then take yeah. what it says at face value and try to execute because A, one of the best poker players and brightest poker minds that I know um, who's very analytical and has spent more time than most human beings in Pio um, has told me directly, like I can't execute a, a one bet size strategy GTO. Like I can't, I can't execute one simple sizing on every single flop, like as a human being. So like, if you're trying to do two sizings, well, the complexity just poof, is exponential. You cannot, you, you cannot do it. Right. So yeah. just be careful about the answers that you're, you're trying to take with you to the tables. And about what you just said, that uh, exploitative play and, and GTO being um, actually the same thing, they, they are. Like, if you look at the definition of GTO, it means that um, in, in a GTO, in, at equilibrium, both players are um, maximally exploiting each other. So what happens is um, when you are exploiting somebody, or trying to exploit somebody who's trying to exploit you at the same time, right? Uh, the, 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 the game reaches this equilibrium where nobody else can fully exploit the other player, the other person. But if you're playing against somebody who's not aware, who's not actively trying to exploit you back, then the GTO thing to do, the GTO play is to max exploit this guy. And you don't have to be, you know, um, defensive at all, thinking, oh, this is not balanced or... Maybe, you know, somebody could take advantage. Well, yeah, maybe somebody could take advantage of what you're doing, but not this dude, not this guy, not this person. Right. So yeah. uh, the GTO play to do then against this guy is to just max exploit. And the best players in the world are the guys who can do this, just uh, find the ways to exploit uh, the opposition. And at the same time, when they face tougher opposition, well, then revert to a uh, sound strategy that will be easy to execute and that doesn't lead to many leagues for your points to take advantage of. Yeah. When I, when I was about 23 years old, I, I went to Foxwoods casino. Um, I, I, w- I was friends with Vanessa Selps and we played against each other in, in the cash games. And, you know, we're, we're fairly close friends back then. And, and she said, you know, whenever I'm not playing a hand against you, I always know what you have. And whenever I am playing a hand against you, I never know. And I'm like, you know, this is the point of poker, right? Like, it doesn't matter if I'm playing against a guy and the cocktail waitress knows exactly what I have. If he doesn't know, that's the only thing that matters in that situation, right? You nice. tailor your strategy against that specific person in that specific moment, and you don't worry if everybody else knows exactly what you're doing because that doesn't matter. Yeah. When you play against them, you do something different, right? Yeah, exactly. It could be completely obvious. I, you shouldn't be trying to look cool. And, you know, maybe there is a, there are a couple of good players at the table and you're trying to impress them. That's stupid. Try to, to play like, you know, maybe if I make this play, this guy will think that I'm bad, so I won't do it. No, just, you know, you're playing the hand against one opponent. You're trying to just get the money of this particular player or, or just don't give you, you know, don't give him your money. So uh, don't be afraid of making a big fault and look stupid or making a big hero call and look stupid. Uh, if there are all good players at the table, only really matters is that you're playing, you're adjusting your play properly against the opponent that you're up against at that point. And that's key. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that out. That's a key, key uh, aspect of poker for sure. Yeah. And going back to like your why, right? Why are you playing cards? You know, 
ask yourself that question. And are you playing cards to look cool in front of a bunch of people? Or are you playing cards to make good decisions and maximize the amount of money you're winning in each session that you play? And actually be honest with yourself. And if you're playing to look cool, you may need to do some self-reflection and you know come to terms with maybe I ought to be playing this game to maximize money. And who cares if sometimes I look like an idiot, right? Like yeah. there, there are videos uh, all, you know what? People make fun of somebody like Vanessa, right? For like five bet jamming deuce five suited, right? Which was like kind of hilariously her first time on ESPN. She like five bet rips deuce five suited. And like, I was sweating the live stream and like all of our friends were like laughing their asses off, but like somebody that can do that that trust their intuition, that trust their gut and can do it on stream, on camera, and just does not give a flying fuck what anybody thinks about them, that person, to me, is a warrior. That person is somebody to be admired because they don't care about being embarrassed. They care about making what they think is the best decision in the moment, and sometimes they're going to be wrong, and sometimes you just fall on your sword, and that's poker, right? I, I do live stream on Twitch, right? And I, I be, I've been called a fish many times. Like, you know, somebody will jump into the chat and be like, oh my God, you're so bad. How can you make that? This, you're just a fish. And they will leave. And, <laughs> and then other people in the chat, they, they will maybe reply and be like, do you know who, who this guy is? Like, uh, I, I, I wouldn't care less, right? Like, I've been called fish so many times. And, you know, simply, uh, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you might look stupid. Even I... You know, I sometimes it's the right play and I look stupid. I don't care. Sometimes I make a mistake and I look stupid. I don't care either because I'm a human. Even though uh, people will expect me like to play perfectly because I'm like this GTO wizard or whatever. It's not the case. Nobody, no one plays perfectly. I make mistakes. I own them. And sometimes I make stupid plays that plays that look stupid, but I, I stand by them. I think they're the right play. And, and so people won't understand why I make such a play. And that's the cool thing about poker, you know, um, just doesn't matter what you're really trying to do is just play your best and whatever um, anybody thinks it's just uh it couldn't it couldn't be less valuable or less important yeah yeah it's just noise you know yeah. it, it's just noise and lots of people are afraid of executing something they're afraid of following their intuition and i i always tell my students like i want to see you punt i want to see you make mistakes i want to see you following your gut and doing something And when you look back at it you ask yourself what on god's earth was i thinking right because like Every time you do that, there are lessons, there are takeaways, there are things that you can learn to add into your game so that you can improve your thought process. If you're not taking those risks, you're probably not improving at a rate that is acceptable to you. So again, be uncomfortable, take those risks, put yourself in a position to where you can learn from your mistakes. Because that's another thing people don't understand or that gets uh, kind of not talked about often enough. It's that you can make a mistake that costs you a stack and you can learn a lesson that saves you 15 stacks in the future, right? Like you can, you can lose money, gain a lesson that is ultimately way more valuable than you losing your stack. So don't just try to play where, you know, you're afraid of pushing the boundaries of what, you know, always push the boundaries, but you know, go back and reflect and try to learn from what you did. Exactly. Important thing is not try to not make mistakes, but to actually just learn something from them. That's it. Uh, mistakes are going to happen. Everybody makes them. Uh, I make them all the time. Everybody makes them. So uh, if even the top players in the world, you know, constantly make mistakes, uh, nobody should ever be afraid of, you know, making mistakes or looking stupid. That's just not the key of the game. Uh, yeah, the, the goal is not to look cool playing poker. It's not to look like you know everything. The goal is to make money in the long run. Yeah, the goal is to get the money, right? 
so a little bit of lightning round questions here, and then we'll uh, we'll close this one down. And by the way, this is this is living up to the part one episode. I, I'm I'm loving this conversation. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? And it doesn't have to be a book about poker. Yeah, the best book the best book I ever uh, read I just mentioned is the one thing. Um, I think everybody should uh, read that book. It just helps you prioritize and and see that you know sometimes you don't have to be balanced in life what we were discussing before um it depends on what your current goals are uh people feel like you have to be balanced and now it's it's kind of uh trending right uh to be living this balanced life where you eat healthy where you take care of your you know uh your your fitness and you have a good relationship with your i don't know wife or your family whatever uh, but at some points in your life, uh, this balance is impossible to achieve. And that's something that we need to understand. Um, it's good to, you know, at, in, to understand this. Of course, uh, you cannot just uh, uh, be, what is the word for this? Um, just neglect. You cannot 100% neglect everything, uh, all the other areas in your life for a very long period of time, because that will not be healthy. But in short periods of periods of time, you need to make sure that you uh, have your goals uh, set correctly and that you are doing exactly what you need to do to accomplish those. So this book, it really helps people understand these concepts and how to apply them and how to really organize towards achieving what it is that you really want in life. So I would recommend this book to anyone, uh, the one thing. Yeah, the one thing that people forget to ask themselves about what they're doing on a daily basis is, is this important? Should I be doing this? Am I getting value from doing this thing, right? Analyze, be intentional about the actions that you choose and the goals that you set for yourself because they're everything. They're, they're your North Star in, in reaching them. So like, ask yourself, is, am I doing this? Like, it, does this matter? Is this important? And if it's not, ditch it. Yeah, like if you're playing, if you know, for example, that you're going to be playing a very important poker tournament on Sunday, right? Would you, would it be wise for you to go out on Saturday night and party and getting drunk or, you know, uh, you're going late night and whatever? Probably not. Maybe it would be good for you to take a very good night of, uh, you know, sleep, rest, maybe doing some study before, whatever, and just make sure that uh, whatever your goals are, you are uh, constantly doing things that will uh, take you towards accomplishing that goal and not um, doing a lot of random stuff that maybe even will take you in the opposite direction. Yeah, and ask yourself this question. Let, let's use a little sports metaphor here. Like, if your favorite team was about to play a championship game, would you be happy if the star player was out getting drunk the night before and showed up to the game hungover? No, like you would be sad, right? You'd be like, what are you doing? Are you an idiot? You're, you're supposed to be in sleep. You're supposed to be a professional, right? So hold yourself accountable to that same standard, right? Be a yeah. professional, show up, get sleep, do what you got to do to perform at a high level. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be and why? I will go back to the golden days of poker where people could play poker online anywhere in the world, like, you know, bringing back the United States and yeah, making poker worldwide again. Uh, that's what I would do, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll actually probably get there somehow with crypto and what is happening with this new... Um, yeah, basically crypto is going to change things. I saw a podcast with Rob Young, where he mentioned this. And I certainly hope that uh, 
poker gets to a point where people could play from anywhere in the world and just have access to, um, uh, you know, uh, a, in a an unified worldwide player pool. That would be amazing. For the yeah, crypt- crypto needs to have much less barrier to entry to the marketplace. If crypto were easier to use, had a much more user-friendly um, system, then more people would use crypto. And that's just the reality, right? Right now, the barrier to entry is that people get overwhelmed. It's hard. You have a Bitcoin address and it's like a bajillion different little bitty characters and it's ruthless. <laughs> you send it to the wrong person. The money's gone forever, right? Oh, so, forever, yeah. Yeah, so you have to be very, very careful. And I think that that friction is what keeps you know the masses out of playing online poker. But when that gets resolved, when it becomes easy, you know, that is one potential path to, you know, in, increasing the size of the current market. The other path is, of course, legalization and regulation. And um, yeah, I don't know when it's going to happen. I have to imagine it will happen eventually. I don't know if it's in my lifetime on a federal level or even a state to state level, but I hope it happens sooner rather than later because this dark ages thing that the United States is in right now is just, it, it's just silly. It's unacceptable. It's ridiculous, and I think that we can do better. Absolutely, yeah. I hope that this uh, thing gets fixed uh, because at the end of the day, uh, people will still play poker, right? Um, they will use these uh, obscure apps or they will get into shady, uh, unregulated websites. Well, if they had the option to play poker in a regulated market and you know just do it uh, the way it's supposed to be, a lot of people will enjoy it. So uh, many people are not playing because they're afraid. So they're missing out. And some more people are just taking unnecessary risks. Well, uh, if all of these things could be uh, fixed, I think poker will have a, a uh, resurgence uh, for sure worldwide. Yeah, it's like we're going to do it anyway, right? Shouldn't you regulate and tax it and make money on it, right? Like, the, <laughs> like that That makes a, a lot more sense to me. Same, same way uh, as it relates to like, legalizing uh marijuana usage across the united states right wouldn't you people are going to smoke weed whether you like it or not so wouldn't you rather tax it and make money as the government i i I would think so seems like a no-brainer to me but you know who am i i guess if you could erect a a billboard every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino what would it say don't gamble with money you are not ready to lose Right, just gamble with money that you uh, that you can afford to lose. Yep, that that's uh, very simple, straight to the point, and very valuable. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Right now, I'm working uh, in the development of a poker app that uh, can be used to learn GTO, and uh, I know there are quite a few some there, and it's it's kind of a, a bummer because. Uh, I've had this project ongoing for years now. Um, I started doing this even before writing the book. So I could have had um, the first uh, GTO training app in the world. I already had the design and everything, and it has been an ongoing project. Uh, But I've had a lot of different uh, roadblocks that I had to overcome. And I think that finally is going to come to fruition. So next year, I think that this is finally going to um, be a viable on the market and is something else compared to whatever is out there. Like um, it's difficult to put it into words, but I'm really good at uh, 
organizing things in a way that are easier uh, to understand and that make more sense. So ideally, the, the, the way of building this app and this software will be uh, groundbreaking for people who are trying to learn uh, poker and, and GTO. And yeah, it's going to be available soon. So this is a, a project that I'm putting a lot of effort right now. Yeah, and, and it's like what I just said about crypto, right? The process, the, the user interface, how, how somebody interacts with it can make something esoteric and available to very few niche people, or it can make it available to everybody and go worldwide, right? That's the difference between like a really shitty UI and a really amazing UI. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish exactly. Just uh, GTO, for a lot of people, it is exactly the kind of esoteric thing. And I'm trying to just make it uh, in such a way that it can be accessible for anyone and anybody could be able to learn GTO in a, in a very easy manner. So what's the name of this app? That. I will be GTO Poker, a very straightforward a GTO Poker app. GTO Poker app. And whenever that comes available, hit me up with a message. I'll, you know, promote it on my channels and put it on this show page as well. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Right now, the easiest way is just uh, social media. Uh, you can find me at GTO Poker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Mostly Instagram and Twitter uh, is the easiest way to, um, uh, to get in touch with me if you want. Just at GTO Poker. Michael, it's been great having you on. I want to have you on again in the future. Maybe when you release your app, I can come up with one more question that we can spend two or three hours answering. Um, we'd love to have you back. And thank you so much for your time and your energy. Your greatness bombs. Have a great rest of your day, my man. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a really enriching experience. I like the, the way you conduct the interview and the questions that you ask are uh, a bit unexpected, but it's pretty cool. Uh, we got to discuss uh, a very wide variety of, of topics here. So yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to be here next time. So cheers, Sam. See you next time. Cheers, Sam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.